Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, well, I'm harking back to a beautiful song from way back in the day, probably before my three panelists were born. Oh, my goodness, but I remember it. Teach Me Tonight. I think it was George Maharis. What a heartthrob. But here's the deal. We're not talking about old rock and roll songs. If your company's workforce spans the generational gamut from baby boomers, that's me, to recent college alumni who were born after the boomers graduated from college, guess what? That is a good thing. Uh Uh-huh. Stop scratching your head. It's a good thing. You want that because talent from any source cannot be overlooked if your company wants to compete in the digital world and the digital economy. You need everyone there. But the question is, how do you efficiently and effectively create or adopt the training tools and techniques that will speak to each employee's individual learning style because different generations and different people within generations based on their experience, based on their style, have different approaches to learning. You have to teach them. You have to bring them up to speed. But how are you going to get there? There could be new approaches on the horizon or even here right now that your company hasn't even considered yet. That's why we're doing this topic today. And the topic is simplifying the future of learning. And that may be a tall order. I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out. So sit back and stay tuned for the next hour. And we will educate and hopefully inspire you. Matt Donovan is first up. He's Vice President of GP Strategies at the Learning Solutions Group. Matt has sent me a quote from Alvin Toffler. That's T-O-F-F-L-E-R. In case you're wondering, Alan Toffler is still around. He's 87 years old today. He's way past even a boomer. He's an American writer and futurist known for his works discussing, here we go, the digital revolution. He was a futurist. Communication revolution and technological singularity. You may know his name from the book Future Shock and the book The Third Wave, which he wrote with his wife Heidi. And those were global bestsellers that have helped educate millions and millions of people around the world. Toffler is also a former associate editor of Fortune magazine. Here is the quote. The illiterate of the future will not be the person who cannot read. It will be the person who does not know how to learn. Matt Donovan, what a great quote. Welcome. How are you, Matt? Doing well. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Tell me about this quote. Is it something you, words to live by? Is it a personal favorite or just something really appropriate for our topic today? Well, I first connected with this uh, back in graduate school where I was introduced into Toffler's work and we were looking at the evolution of education and instruction. And I was just starting out my career as an instructional designer. And, and nowadays I refer to myself as a recovering instructional designer. Uh, but this quote has kind of helped me uh, bring it across uh, the many years I've been working in the field. 
at the moment, when I was first reading about it, it really connected because it was speaking to the value of which I was, the future career I was embarking on. So it's not just about, you know, teaching folks to read. It's about enabling them to continue to learn, relearn, uh, evolve, and adopt. And uh, it's actually gained uh, new meaning almost every year as I'm in the profession. But as we face today, and many of my partners from working with partner organizations, what we're finding is that the increasingly volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world is making this expectation that folks and performers, learners, need to be able to not only know how to learn, relearn, make new connections, not just with information, but with other performers to synthesize new outputs, new conclusions, because the the challenges that we're facing in the business uh, world are really uh, becoming much more complex than usual. So this one kind of resonates uh, early on as well as uh, more every day I come back to this uh, quote. So it's been pretty personal for me. Thank you very much, Matt. Great introduction to our topic. And and the question is, Alvin Toffler said it. He's been around a while. You're saying it. You're living by this, as you say. Do people know this? Do people understand this? Do HR organizations and trainers in the corporate setting in any size company, do they get this, Matt? Or do you think this is a best-kept secret? Well, I don't, I don't know that it's a best-kept secret. I believe that uh, on the surface, a lot of folks are, are aware of it. They see it around them. They uh, personally themselves, so if you ask if folks in HR see it, I think as performers themselves and learners themselves, they understand the value of it. But I think when they turn back to the way in which they do business or the way in which they order the world to roll out things efficiently, it's easier to go back and, and design from a point of control rather than opening up and creating systems that enable users in the end to be able to use those systems to be able to uh, create their own learning environments. And that's where I tap back into that phrase of becoming a recovering instructional designer. When, when we were early on, we were trained, we write courses that uh, begin mm-hmm. with objectives, say, at the end of this course, you will be able to, and right. I predict that you'll be able to do this. But now what we're facing is that they need to bring their own relevance and their own learning to it. And it's, it's forcing folks to have to rethink the ways in which we're opening up the learning systems to shift the control from the training organizations of the HR to balance that with the end user. I love that. Thank you very much, Matt. And I think of all of the emails, a.k.a. spam, we all get from people who claim to want to train us in something that they assume or presume that we need to know, and exactly what you said, at the end of this course, you will. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Good to have you on board, Matt, and now I'd like to introduce our second panelist. He is Jesse Burnell, and he spells his last name B-E-R-N-A-L, if you want to look him up. He is the Vice President of Global Shared Services at NOAA Software, and i got to spell that one, too, K-N-O-A, NOAA Software. Here's an interesting quote Jesse has sent me from John D. Rockefeller Sr., who, by the way, lived from 18th. 39 to 1937. He was an American business magnate and philanthropist, excuse me, and he was the co-founder of the Standard Oil Company, which not only dominated the oil industry, but it was the first great U.S. business trust. I don't think he ran for president, but we know what happens to business magnets today. I don't know. They just get a big ego. So here's here another here's a quote, and uh, there are several other really good quotes from John D. Rockefeller, but the one Jesse chose for today is, if you want to succeed, you should strike out on new paths rather than travel the worn paths of accepted success. Jesse Burnell, welcome. How are you today, Jesse? I'm doing great. 
Thanks for joining us. Love the quote. And by the way, Jesse, I want to tell you that John D. Rockefeller also said, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. And he said, good management consists in showing average people how to do the work of superior people. And that would have been just as applicable today. So, Jesse, tell me, is John D. Rockefeller a favorite of yours? Um, he is. So, you know, with this quote, um, one of the things that come to mind for me is I'm someone who likes change. So, even though, you know, I've been in, in corporate world now over uh, 20 years, which seems uh, like forever for me, um, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting to see um, all the changes that have occurred from when I've, I've started in the workplace to where I am now. And, and I think change is one of those things that is constant. Um, and, I, and I really like this quote for that reason. Um, I'm someone who, as a manager, uh, I know my teams have said this about me. Yeah, I go to a meeting, I'll come back with a new idea, and I'm not afraid to put those things into place and try something new. Um, I, I always feel that uh, failure is something you learn from. So uh, the only thing that we could possibly do from changing is fail. And if we fail, then we'll make a new decision and move on from there. Um, so for me, I really like this quote for that reason. Um, it, it makes you, you know, invoke that feeling of, of change is okay and it should be something you do. And moving down a new path is, is really sometimes it's, it's difficult. And I think in a leadership role, it's sometimes hard to step back and and not control the situation. I think for uh, many years as, as managers and leaders, you, you've kind of been uh, let down the path that you need to control your people, that you need to be, um, you know, watching what they're doing, reporting on every step. And I think in today's world, you have to give them room to change and grow and, and allow allow for those things to occur. Very, very interesting, Jesse. Thank you so much. And I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, the second quote I read from Rockefeller, good management consists in showing average people how to do the work of superior people. Do you think the word teaching or training could be substituted? Because we're talking about learning today. So if you're teaching them, do you think that the average, and I don't even know what the average or the norm is anymore. I don't think anybody does. But do you think that that can be taught or instructed or guided by HR or managers like you who who get it and who know how to help their people move ahead? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, no, I absolutely think it, it can be taught and shown, and, and I like the word shown better than taught. Um, I think it's the way that you act and react to the situation. I think showing people um, how to deal with situations, uh, one of the things that I, you know, with, with managers that I have managed, um, I always try to give them guidance on you have to let your people fail. Um, so there's many times that a manager wants to course correct the person before the failure occurs. Um, however, they never learn from that because you're constantly uh, correcting everything they're doing and they never get that chance to fail to understand for themselves what the right and wrong thing is to do as a leader. So I always like to tell people that um, when you're a leader and a manager, sometimes stepping back and letting people have that failure or mistake is actually more powerful than guiding them to avoid it. Uh, so I really do like that quote um, as well, and I, I think it's powerful. 
Thank you, Jesse. Very well put. And we all know that in the innovative culture and the design thinking culture today, one of the mantras is fail fast and fail often. But I'm going to add a corollary to that, which is, damn it, learn from your mistakes and don't keep doing the same one over and over again. So thank you, Jesse Brunel. Delighted to have you on the panel today. I know we're looking forward to a lot of more great insights from you. And third up on the panel, I'm happy to present Sohail Bola. Let me spell his name if you want to look him up and find out more. S-O-H-A-I-L. Name B H O L A. He is a consultant at Tech Data Corporation. And so Hale has sent me a quote from someone I've never heard of, so of course I had to look him up. It's Ferdinand Foch, F O C H. And he was actually a marshal, a French soldier, a military theorist, and the Allied Generalissime. I hope I said that right, during the First World War. And interestingly enough, he was ordered to defend Paris in August 1914. And he he was prestigious because of a victory at Marne in France for which he was credited as a chief protagonist while commanding the French Ninth Army. Mr. or Marshal Foch would be shocked to find out that he's ending up on a show about the business of the future, talking about simplicity in the future of learning. But here is the wonderful quote. My center is giving way. My right is in retreat. Situation excellent. I shall attack. So, Hell Bolo, who are we attacking? Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, Thank the, you. the quote that I provided is really just uh, not so much to, uh, to the topic, but really words that I try to live by on a day-to-day basis. As we're all aware of the constantly changing priorities, constantly changing strategic directions within any corporate environment, uh, the quote really gives me the inspiration to say, you know, when, when things seem like there's no light to the end of the tunnel, when things are crumbling on your right, when your center is off doing many different things, there is still light to the end of the tunnel and you should still strive to push forward. And the, the amazing thing about this quote, as you mentioned, it's from 1914, which in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not that long ago when you think about it. And if you think about the amount of change and the rate of change, um, echoing what Jesse mentioned earlier, that change is constant. Looking at the change that's happened in the past 100 years, just in the way technology has advanced, the way people learn about new technologies, and all just the, the changes the globe has gone through, I think it's really important to, to live by some of these quotes to make sure you're still striving forwards and adapting. Thank you, Sohel. Very interesting. You said 1914 isn't that far away, and actually it's 102 years behind us. And mm-hmm. I love to say at the end of the show, you and Jesse and Matt will find out that when I ask you to do your crystal ball predictions at the very end of the show, I'm going to say let's fast forward to 2020. Now, I've been doing this these shows for over four and a half years. 2020 used to be far away, and now mm-hmm. it's, what? We're 2016, middle of February, so it's about three and a half years from now. So the times, they are a change, but I appreciate your perspective, because in the grand scheme, yes, 1914 was just a century ago. There we are. Thank you, Sohail, very much for articulating that, and I'm glad you have words to live by. Now, Matt Donovan, I have a very tough question for you. I think I prepared you for this, and I hope you're ready. Where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Or tell us your favorite beverage from another time, later or New Year's Eve, whatever you wish. Sure. Well, I'm calling today from uh, Bloomington, Indiana, here in my office. And uh, in my coffee cup, I have some high sea fruit punch. And uh, this is actually hails back from my childhood. Uh, in my home, we really 
my mother being very health conscious at the time. We didn't have a lot of sugary drinks in the house, but when I'd go over to my friend's houses, I'd see the wide array of sugary beverages, whether it was Kool-Aid or Tang, uh, but my favorite was always high C, which was, you know, bring out the big can, like a big old oil can, and you poke two <laughs> holes in the top of it, and you watch that, you know, red sugary goodness pour into your glass, and uh, ever since then, it kind of takes me back. It's a point of comfort for me. Uh, my, my wife being my uh, health coach as well, I really can't have it at home, so when I'm at the office, I'm able to sneak a nice glass every now and then of some high C fruit punch, so that's what I'm drinking today. Oh, my goodness, you are bringing back memories, talking about the oil can and punching the two holes with, with, with what we used to call a can opener. Some people used it as a beer opener. I remember in the metal would kind of squeeze in. And today, if you if you look online, the first thing when I Googled high C fruit punch, I hate to break this to you, Matt, was nutrition label. The second thing was, is it really healthy? The third <laughs> thing is calories and nutrition facts dash fat secret. Uh, then it's on Wikipedia, then blah, blah, blah. It's served at Burger King on the regional menu. Wow. So anyway, I'm, I uh, appreciate the flashback from the past. Thank you. I remember it too very much. Ah, that's so funny. We never know. First time that High Sea Fruit Punch has made an appearance on the show, along with the Generalissimo. So we're really, uh, really setting the stage here. Jesse Burnell, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? So I'm calling from Holland, Ohio today, and I'm drinking a... Starbucks Triple Grande Sugar-Free Hazelnut Latte. And uh, for me, this is, this is a, an accomplishment because uh, coming from a small town in Defiance, Ohio, we, we didn't have coffee shops. And I can remember the first time going into a Starbucks or that, that coffee shop where you needed to order, uh, order a drink and that, that nervousness when you get to the counter with everyone <laughs> around you ordering all these half-calf, skinny, double, all these different things. Um, and finally being able to get that whole phrase out and actually know what I'm getting in my cup was actually an accomplishment for me. So um, it's one of my favorite things, um, but I definitely, every time I order it, think I've turned into a coffee snob from that farm town uh, in Defiance, Ohio. Jesse, you just, I am smiling. If, if high sea fruit punch didn't make me happy, the fact that you admitted that and talk about snoffy co- coffee snobs and, and work, working your way up to the counter and being nervous, could you repeat the drink again because you said it so beautifully now that you know what you're talking about? What was that drink again? Yeah. One more time. It's, Go ahead. It's a, it's a Starbucks triple grande sugar-free hazelnut latte. Everybody, round of applause for Jesse. You just did that so well. And I have to tell you, Jesse, you mentioned Defiance, Ohio, and that was one of the key plot lines in Scandal. I don't know if you watched Shonda Rhimes, uh, I'll call it a soapy drama, political, scandalous show, and it's coming back on the air tonight after a couple-month hiatus, and I'm almost salivating, waiting for the new episode. But uh, a crime was committed by the president and the first lady and several key advisors in Defiance, Ohio, in the show. They tampered with the results in the voters box, in the ballot box, and kept it a secret for years until some some damn nosy reporter figured it out, and then it almost brought down the whole regime. So anyway, Defiance, Ohio, uh, near and dear to me because I'm a big fan of Scandal, but we'll let that rest. Jesse, thank you very much. So, Hale Bola, we've had two very interesting drink commentaries here, but first I'll ask you where are you calling from, and then what's in your cup today? Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, I'm calling from Clearwater, Florida. 
uh, nice and sunny this morning. Um, what's in my cup? It's actually a ginger, cayenne, lemon, and orange cold-pressed juice. Uh, the past couple of days, I think there's a, a bit of a, a virus going around the office where I think a few people are starting to cough and getting stuffed up, and I could feel myself yesterday getting a little stuffed up. And I tell you, I go to, to this juice. It's from a local cold-pressed juice store just around the corner from my house. And this, I swear by it. Whenever I start to feel like I'm getting a cold or anything, I go to this juice press place, and the ginger, lemon, and orange in itself is pretty, pretty tart and pretty sour when you drink it. But then you add in the cayenne pepper to add that heat element, and it, it really is just like a smack in the face when you take a sip of this juice. But I swear by it, and if anyone's feeling like they're getting a little stuffed up or coming down with something, I highly recommend it to get you over it. You are a brave soul, and it reminds me of your quote from Generalissime Ferdinand Foch. My center is giving way. My right is in retreat. Situation excellence. I shall attack. I think the juice, the cold-pressed juice is attacking you, and you're <laughs> cold. I've never heard of cold-pressed juice. What is that? Uh, it's just a method of uh, pressing the juice. Instead of going to your traditional method where you, where you actually juice fruit and you actually have a lot of waste coming out of that, or if you go to different methods where they grind up a lot of the things, um, actually produces a lot of waste. Whereas cold pressing, it's, as it may sound, it's a large cold press and you really extract, they claim, every piece of nutrition and nutrient out of the, out of the fruit or vegetable that's being pressed. So it's just a, a modern day of getting every nutrient, nutrient out of the, the vegetable or, or fruit that you're looking for. Thank you. I looked it up on Wikipedia. It uses a hydraulic press to extract juice from fruit and vegetables as opposed to other methods such as centrifugal or blah, blah, blah. And there are actually at least three places that come up. Uh, Thefountainofjuice.com, raw cold-pressed juice in New York City. One is Juice Press on 3rd Avenue. One is Liquiteria Fast Food on 2nd Avenue. One is Creative Juice on East 54th Street. So anybody in Manhattan, I want you to be as healthy as Sohail is where he's calling from in Florida. Hey, you got to be healthy if you're in Florida. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate that. It's time for us to take a break so you can all get a pause that refreshes, I hope, and come back with a lot of energy because we're going to be starting our 35-minute nonstop roundtable after the break. To our listeners, we're talking about simplifying the future of learning. It applies to your company, no matter how big or small you are, no matter how large your global footprint, no matter how new or young or old or veteran your employees are. You have to keep learning. You have to keep growing. So what is it about the future of learning that you can learn that will help you move forward? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. Shout out to our sponsor at SAP, David Fowler. Hello, David. I know you have a busy day and glad you're listening to the first half. And this is Season 3, Episode 10. So, David, I want you to renew because this is such a good topic. We'll look forward to Season 4 later in the year. We're talking today with Matt Donovan at Learning Solutions Group. We're talking with Jesse Burnell at NOAA, K-N-O-A Software, and Sohail Bola at Tech Data Corporation. And I'm simply going to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. 
Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking today with Matt Donovan at GP Strategies. That's the correct company name. I got it. Jesse Brunell at NOAA, KNOA Software, and Sohail Bola at Tech Data Corporation. Time for our roundtable, and Matt Donovan has sent me some very interesting notes to kick off this part of the show. Here's where we're going to start, Matt. You say the increasing complexity and accelerated change in the competitive environment are pushing organizations to focus on, and here's the key, the self-evolution of the individual contributor. Can you unravel that for me, Matt? And then we're going to ask Jesse and Sohail to comment as well. Go ahead, Matt Donovan. Yeah, sure. So I think with, you know, as, as we talked about the uh, changing in the competitive environment, the ways in which folks are competing with each other, I mean, even if you take into account, for example, the disruptive force of Uber in the longstanding history of human transportation and the taxi industry. So we're seeing a lot of new disruptions and organizations are not only structuring themselves in ways to uh, respond to these disruptions, they're also trying to look at new ways in which they have to enable their their workforce or individual contributors to perform better. And, uh, for example, we're seeing a lot more organizations really rely on, say, for example, a matrix organization. And uh, working with one of our uh, partner organizations, uh, they were struggling, as you see, more marketing and sales and manufacturing coming together to solve and compete in the space to respond to disruptive efforts out there. Now, as you bring these groups together and these individual contributors that have historically been in silos, they're now having to not only uh, learn how to work with that disruption with their, within their own swim lane, they're also having to collaborate with areas of other groups uh, in order to come up with new innovative solutions. Uh, the challenge is as the you know, matrix organization starts to really uh, come into full force, we're finding that clear rules of engagement or ways in which you're going to contribute and uh, add value is, is not as easy to codify. And so you're having to focus and, and uh, really reinforce the individual to contribute to not only being uh, an evolutionary learner, changing the ways and how they're assembling information to perform, but also revolutionary in that way. So uh, they're having to try and find ways to bring, say, for example, new entrants into the workplace, whether it's a new employee uh, coming into a very complex 
complex uh, organization and trying to hit the ground running with multiple areas, uh, even though they may have expertise in one, how do you immediately get in and start collaborating with others, working with others to be able to solve not only today's problem, but the uh, problems they're going to be facing them tomorrow. So the organizations, in order to do that, are having to think differently about not only how they provide them information, but how they reinforce problem-solving behaviors, uh, the ability to create one's own network to uh, bring together your peer performers to solve that, uh, the ways in which we're uh, looking to create networks to synthesize, evaluate, and apply uh, to trends that are coming across. Not only knowing when uh, one trend is is shifting and you're moving to another uh, future state, I also need to be able to operate in the, the constraints of today. So the, the push on organization demand of the individual contributor is being is definitely becoming more complex and, and greater demand. And of course, with the economic environment, it's not as simple as just adding more people to it. We are asking more of them to each individual to do more, collaborate more, share more. And so I think that's the biggest challenge that we're facing in the workplace today is how do we get more out of pretty much the same humans we've had uh, since the dawn of time? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest challenge I find for us. Thank you, Matt. Before I invite Jesse and Sohail to chime in, I have a question for you, Matt. Does this apply to everybody in the workforce? I opened up by saying that in order to be competitive and grow and compete in a worldwide market today, no matter what your company or what your industry, what your focus is, you need to include all of the different demographic segments in your workforce. But does everybody really want to do this? We can train, we can teach, we can motivate, we can inspire. But Matt, some people just want to come to work, put their head down, do their thing. They don't want to build a network. They don't want to be inspired. They just want to do their job. They're good at it. And this is just not why they came on board. Let's say, I won't say older employees. I'll say people have been around for a while before this this new mantra perhaps was introduced. So how do you deal with that? Do you just say, okay, Bob, you can stay in your corner and work your eight hours and we love the reports you're pumping out and that's good enough or do you make Bob do this new way of learning what, what do you think Matt well I think it has to start from from that intrinsic motivation I mean I know we can always apply external motivators but you're only going to get so far uh, so far I mean mm-hmm. we know that performance really not only comes with the ability to know or have the knowledge but also that motivation to perform so you're really trying to get at how do we motivate across the generations to be able to do that and I think it starts at establishing relevance and starting at the point and then I think there is a basic human premise that most folks want to come to work they want to do a good job they want to perform mm-hmm. well and if you can help them understand that the way that they're going to be able to do that is, is that they're going to have to change the way they're thinking how to do it you just got to find a way to connect with them within their context understanding the way in which they may have learned things in the past, how do you make connections to that past but bring them into the future? So you can't just walk in and say, you're going to learn different now, you're going to perform different now. You have to tap not only uh, that intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, but you also need to create a system that continuously reinforces that. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. That's that's the note I wanted to include. Jesse Burnell, a lot from Matt Donovan, uh, Run with it. What do you think? What do you say? Do you agree, disagree, and talk to me? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I've set up two different groups um, within 
two different companies that I work for in the shared services organization. So um, this is one of those uh, topics that I think rings rings well with me. So bringing up in these shared organizations, we brought a lot of people together from these different um, different roles, different skills, um, and all generations kind of together as well. Since I had global organizations, people who spoke different languages, cultures, um, and, and we put everything together and we're trying to get the most out of those resources. So um, I really think this, this resonates with me on uh, some of the teams that I've had in the past. And, and it is challenging. I think when you're putting a group together, trying to figure out where they fit, what is the right thing, how do I get the most out of them, um, I, I really like to leverage and lean on uh, tools like StrengthFinders 2.0 or Myers-Briggs or, or really focus on what is the core of that person um, instead of focusing on uh, the things that they don't like doing, how do I focus on those strengths of each person and really drive those strengths to get the most out of them? Because I think for everyone, when you're doing what you love to do and when it's mm-hmm. your strength and it becomes natural to you, it's so easy and you get so much more work done than trying to force them to do something they don't understand. Thank you, Jesse. You introduced something I'm not familiar with. You talked about strength fi- Strengths Finder 2.0 and Myers-Briggs, of course, I'm familiar with. What is Strengths Finder 2.0? Is this a heads-up we need to give to our, our people who are working on learning in their organizations? What is it? So Strength Finders 2.0 is, so it's a book. It's also an online test you can take. They have Leadership 2.0, Leadership 2.0. They have... Um, uh, Impact of Change 2.0, but it's, it's this whole segment of books that uh, it's from Gallup, the, the Gallup surveys, Gallup polls, um, where you go on, you take a test, it takes about 30 minutes, and then it focuses on people's strengths. So it's the whole concept of, of don't focus on your team's weaknesses, focus on where they're strong. So if they're a strong communicator, if they're a strong strategic person, so they like strategy and change, or are they strong at uh, development work or relationships, Focus on those emotional strengths or those, those skills they have um, and figure out where they're best fit within that organization you're trying to create, and you will see the amount of, of work that comes from these people when you finally put them in a role that, that fits them and fits their strengths and where they feel comfortable. Thank you, Jesse. I think you also introduced the word emotional connection, I think I heard in there, which is interesting. Let's get Sohail Bola to comment before we go too deep into this thread. Sohail, what do you think about what Matt introduced and where Jesse took it? I completely agree uh, with both uh, panelists. Um, one, one topic I thought that was interesting was the, when Matt mentioned members working in silos and how you mentioned, Bonnie, that some people just want to come to work, do their job, leave at the end of the day, and that's really their, their goal for, for their to work. Um, having a global team, as you can imagine, it's difficult to be in all places at once and to, to see different cues and to pick up on the different personalities and the different emotions that Jesse mentioned. Um, so what I try to do with my organization, the team that I have, is really to encourage a continuous learning environment that has to be adaptive. As Jesse mentioned earlier, you know, change is constant. There's never going to be, uh, especially in the technology field, there's never going to be a dull moment where something isn't changing. The way that I try to keep that alive and try to keep adapting to the ways my team member team members learn, um, I actually subscribe to a number of different industry journals, one being very specific to the IT distribution uh, industry, which TechData operates in, but some that are um, a little bit outside of that, one being the tech, MIT Technology Review. And what I do there is I often find articles that 
are so off kilter from the day-to-day business that the team members would do just to keep things interesting, to ask them, what do they think about the article? What, how do they think this pertains to what they do on a day-to-day basis? And if they had uh, all the power in the world to actually take this on and run with this topic, how would they uh, approach that? Uh, the article that just came out yesterday from the technology review is about the Google self-driving cars uh, and how uh, Google is actually reaching out to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and trying to figure out how we can say, instead of a car being a person in it, now the car is being driven by artificial intelligence. I'm actually going to take that back to my team and say, where, is this, where do you see this going? Similar to what Bonnie's going to ask us later, where do we see this in 2020? Mm-hmm. I ask my team, how does this relate to what you do on a day-to-day basis? And sometimes topics are way off kilter, and sometimes they align beautifully. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very interesting points to add. I appreciate that. And, Matt, I'm going to circle back to you. Any thoughts on what Jesse added and what Sohail added to what you started? Yeah, I think I think there's some really great themes in here. And I think one of the things that we're looking at as we're moving forward is not just creating uh, the tools, but also the processes on how people problem solve and bring information together. I think when we had the workforce, it historically used to be the top down from the organization. We'd say, this is your job. This is the training you need to take in order to go do your job. Here's how you're going to be safe on the job. Here's how you're going to uh, deal with this task. But what we're, we're finding is that the environments are changing so so quickly that it's hard to come down with a top set of rules or an algorithm to solve a problem. So we're having to get to teach folks how to problem solve. And that's not consistently happening, I think, what people are bringing into the workforce. So it's in addition to the motivating them and and the access to the great tools of information and uh, that they can bring and beef up their their, basic knowledge or comprehension, it's also reinforcing how do we problem solve. And problem solving is more than just teaching a series of facts. It's a process, but it's a way of thinking. Just like if you were to go to law school, you you go uh, there and you learn how to think about solving legal problems or legal challenges. There are ways in which you think about solving problems. And I think the organizations need to to think more specifically in focusing on solving the problems that they're seeing. How do we do this as an organization? Helping folks find productive ways to do that, ways that are aligned so that you don't get, you're not trying to create predictable solutions what you're trying to get to is predictable problem solving. And in addition to that, I think that once folks are doing that and they they see that they're able to do that, then that natural draw forward on that problem solving and collaborating with others to do it, there's an actual energy that comes from that that I think can just permeate and positively promote in the organization. Well put. Thank you, Matt. And you gave me a perfect segue to go to some notes from Jesse Burnell. But, Jesse, I think you can. we can say from what you do in your free time that you exemplify the learning process of collaborating with others. I have to tell everybody, Jesse, in his free time, and I don't think he has much, owns and operates a theater company in Ohio where he lives, and he's actively involved in community theater and works as a producer and director in several plays each year. So Jesse knows the meaning. You can't have a good theater production without collaboration, right, Jesse? Absolutely. 
Okay, I had to get that in there because I don't think we've ever well, very few people have have done this who've been on the show. The thousand people or so I've spoken to already. So forgive me, but I had to get that personal note in. Jesse, <laughs> I want to I want to segue. I see you're. I hope you're not blushing. I hope you're smiling. Um, interesting. I'm looking at your notes. I want to go in a slightly different direction and let's talk about. We've talked a little bit about demographics. I've talked about companies all over the globe, and that is our listener base. We we have listeners in hundreds and hundreds of countries and places. I can't even pronounce all over the world, but let's talk about cultural differences. So you said in your notes, the future of work is changing due to a dispersed team operating all over the globe in different time zones, in different cultures. So how do we scale and be flexible to ensure an efficient team when it comes to learning and helping people learn their way when you have a company that's so far flung? How do you know what their way is? Jesse, talk to me. So I, I think one of the, the keys here and the importance is, you know, really getting to learn those cars, cultures and spending time with those people in, in the country they're in. Um, I think it's hard to just read a book or, or um, learn from, you know, Google or, or looking up and, and listening to these trends of what we think cultures are from country to country or region to region. And I think submersing yourself into those cultures um, and understanding the differences, um, whether those be economic, social, um, there's so many differences when you start going and spending time with your team across the globe. Um, some of the things that I like to mention, I mean, when you think about North America and where we're at, um, where we're all sitting today, um, we're, we're very much fast-paced. It's very, very seldom that you see people have a true work-life balance in, in North America. Um, and when you go into some of these other countries, it's, it's completely opposite, right? So it's, it is a balance of life and work. And, and it's not that they're trying to stop to work. It's the way that they were raised, and it's part of their culture that, yes, work is important, but life and family is more important. And I don't think we always make that apparent in, in, in North America. Um, so it's interesting when you start spending time with people, um, the, the language barrier. So even though you think that, you know, all my people can speak English and they understand what I'm saying, that's not always the case. Some words don't translate well. Um, some things that even though they tell you they're understanding, they don't really understand. Um, so when you think about learning styles, right, am, am I learning by reading, am I learning by showing, um, am I, you know, all those different learning, learning you know, styles that, that we, you know, talk about every day in all of our books, um, it, it can be a challenge when you're dealing with, people remotely over the phone, through Skype, through all these other ways of, of communicating. Um, and I really still feel that, you know, that, that touching feeling, living in the culture with some of these people, whether it be for a week, a day, can really add a lot of value as a manager, as a leader um, to your organization. Don't assume um, just because you visited once that you understand that culture. Um, it, it's, it's, it's their life, right? So it's, it's mm -hmm. difficult to, to say that I understand that and can pick it up just in, in one visit. You said and you emphasized it's their life. Very important. I think we need to quote that from Jesse Brunel going forward. That's a good one. It's their life. But the corollary or the add-on is it's our company. Okay. Uh, so, Hale Bola, I'd love to have you comment on what Jesse introduced, some really interesting concepts. So, Hale? Yes, I'd, uh, I'd like to build on top of what Jesse mentioned, working with such a diverse workforce uh, across the globe and trying to build that energy that we talked about earlier. I agree that there's a lot of different techniques that you have to be kind of multimodal to adapt to the entire workforce across the board, across the globe. 
One thing I wanted to mention that I feel is very important, and Jesse touched on this to make sure some people would agree that they understand the training, they understand what they're trying to learn, they understand where they're going forwards, but honestly that's more of a, a cultural thing where they're saying yes, but realistically they might not understand it. And this is the mm-hmm. point that I want to make in ensuring that we're following up with um, following up with our resources after the trainings. It might not have to be the, the day or hour afterwards, but a week later, have those follow-ups to make sure that the messages are going through. Um, you can touch on different communication topics, uh, bring in different cultural aspects, just in the way people absorb information. But you want to make sure that your message is getting across. People are, you are, you have the adapt, adaptive learning techniques that we talked about earlier, and really make sure that the information is really sinking in. So that's the one point I wanted to make: is just make sure that you're following up and ensuring that the data is being consumed as you would like it to be. Thank you, Matt Donovan. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd like to add to that. I think yeah. one of the concepts we're facing when we're, we're looking at this is, is comparable to when we're trying to create uh, course materials or instruction and we're trying to share it around the world, the difference between translation and localization. And I think, in, in general, most organizations have come to understand the difference between translation and localization when it comes to content. But I think we need to learn how to adapt that to our learning strategies and performance improvement strategies around the world. It's not just translating you know, a, a domestic North American uh, learning strategy and then just translating that around the world. It's trying to localize it, understanding the ways in which uh, those performers in those geographic regions, how they work, learn, perform. And I think it's really trying to help you know, get a more global perspective on what we're doing. I don't think you're going to come out with one strategy that works for everybody. You have to basically get to where the business is, what, what your industry is, where your performers are, and then localize it, not just translate it. Uh, I think that comes from not only compensation strategies, but it's also how do you set those, those motivators uh, and how do you, they choose to learn. Do they, you know, collaboration, how do they collaborate together? Some folks are more comfortable in a digital space. Some folks have to blend that with more of a, of a, a, a face-to-face or peer group live sessions to be able to get through that. Finding that balance is going to be critical to perform because we can't just go out there. If we really need a global set of performers, we can't just assume that our learning strategies here will translate around the world. Thank you. Very, very important. Localize, don't just translate. That's another mantra we can give as a, a takeaway for our listeners. Uh, Jesse Burnell, love to have you comment. Yeah, I, I you know, I agree with, with, with what was just said, and, and I think that is a, a challenge for some people to, to really bring in that localization. Um, it, it, as we said earlier, it's easy to translate, but that localization can sometimes be a challenge. You know, one of the things that I like to, to do is, is don't underestimate the people who are doing the jobs or the people who may not be in that role of the trainer or training instructor or leader. Um, you know, that, that line worker, I, I have dealt with a lot of manufacturing, um, you know, dealing with the line workers or the people who are um, on, on the job doing, touching, feeling that work every day are sometimes your best resources to help you localize that content. So uh, don't be afraid to ask people that it may not be their role uh, but they're going to be your best resource to tell you what makes sense for all the people that they work with every day. Thank you very much. And let's see now. I'd like to segue into some topics from Sohail. Oh, we have about five minutes left before we go into predictions. We can squeeze about six minutes, but I want to make sure we go somewhere that's important here. You sent me so much good information. Um 
So, Hale, I think I'm going to just open this up to you. You've talked about finding a learning strategy that's multimodal to adapt to the entire workforce. I think we've covered that already. Uh, let's see. Encourage and instill a continuous learning environment. Look out always for value-added bites of content that can help your team add value. Let's go there. How do you do that? Where do you find those, So, Hale? What are these value-added bites of content? Is it part of what Jesse just shared and uh, Matt just shared in terms of getting your team to help you localize, not just translate, and finding people who can help instill these values. What's your perspective, Sohail? Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, Mm -hmm. On that perspective, where I look for different bites of information, it's really a lot of different publications. I mentioned the MIT Technology Review earlier, uh, some other publications that are specific to the IT distribution industry, but it really could be any different any different bite from any different source that really that you can use for your team to help them kind of think outside the box. I think that's really interesting and really important, especially when you have such a, a mix of individuals working for you. That it shouldn't you shouldn't necessarily see it as a challenge. Going back to what Jesse mentioned earlier about the Myers Briggs um, analysis, once you understand how your different team members how they how they learn and how they respond to different techniques. You can actually use that as an asset, and it's actually a benefit because you might find that some of the more experienced um, team members might be able to assist some of the other newbies that might be coming in fresh out of college or fresh out of grad school. So by using techniques like that, you can really tailor your, your what's the word I'm looking for, your course load or the, the way you approach the different learning techniques by looking at things like that. So, Hale, let me ask you a question. I don't think I've heard anybody mention gamification. And we talk often on SAP Radio, by the way. I don't know if the three of you know, but we now have 21 different series. And the one you're on, I think I mentioned, is in Season 3, sponsored by Dave Fowler. We talk about innovating innovation. We talk about design thinking. We often cover topics about millennials. I have one coming up next week on one of our series. So the question is, it, it comes to mind that they're saying different styles, different parts of the demographic spread, if you will, the spectrum. Gamification, is that a big deal today? Should that be something every company is trying to incorporate in their learnings for all age groups, all veterans or newbies to the workforce? What's your perspective, Sohail? I think it's important. Uh, The extent of how important that, that gamification that you mentioned is, I think it should be included in the mix of things. However, I think it is a fairly I shouldn't say new topic because it has been around for a while. I think it should be in the grand scheme of things. However, I I feel that there are other techniques that that should be focused on before you get to the more kind of um, more lax type of more fun ways of learning. I think the step one is to make sure the information is accurately depicted, that you're making sure the information is getting across, making sure it's localized accurately for the teams. Once you have that in place, once you have that solid structure with your team, you understand how they learn, you understand the different, um, different demographics, different diversities within your team, then you can start looking into additional topics. So I feel it's important in the grand scheme of things, but at the point at which you increase the, the gamification of the different training techniques, I think you have to have that solid base before you look into some of those topics. Thank you. Matt Donovan, I bet you have an opinion on gamification. What do you say? Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, got him. All right, talk to me. Yeah. No, absolutely, yeah. So I think, you know, a lot's been talked about about gamification. And, and let me say that, you know, I believe in gamification. I think it can be a, you know, a, a valuable tool in the toolbox. But at the same time, I think sometimes people focus on it as a silver bullet. 
And, and not only is it not a silver bullet, it it's also can be a little dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Because if you're using gamification to increase or incentivize folks to move along a direction, the same, you have to clearly understand what it is that you're reinforcing or the behaviors that you're drawing out. Uh, there have been studies that have shown that uh, when they come out, that sometimes you can actually create disincentives. And this has been learned a lot in the marketing space where people are trying to create little games and information and incentives to draw people along in compliance. And then when all of a sudden that, that gamification, that, that uh, there's an indirect or, or an unintended consequence of it because they didn't plan for it or they didn't understand the impact of the incentives wrapped around that gamification component. So, so it has to be something you use intelligent and needs to be applied appropriately. It's not something that's just pulled out and says, hey, you know what, let's, let's take a, our, our compliance course and turn it into a game. Is, is that the best idea to do that? In some cases, there could be aspects where a game could really be great for reinforcing it, but is a game to be used the first time you're learning something? It can be. There are, are opportunities to apply it, but not always. Uh, games can extend the learning experience instead of shortening it. Sometimes if you take a game that drives exploration to learn with it. So I think gamification can be important. It can connect with folks, and it does have the power of incentives around it. But you really need to understand uh, what it is and plan for uh, unintended consequences around it. And, and I would also say this gets back into the global perspective, how those gamification and those incentive mechanisms work does play out, I think, in different cultures in different ways. And so you need to be aware of that if you're rolling it out on a global perspective. I always recommend that you, you test them, you get the data back before you do like a global launch. Um, you know, you can put in a good design, but nothing beats good evidence-based uh, feedback on, on putting in a really good design. But again, I, I believe in I could think it would be helpful when used appropriately. Thank you. And guess what? Jesse Brunell, I'm going to give you a, a 30 second answer about gamification because we're running late and I need to get everybody's predictions. So, Jesse, thoughts on gamification? Be fast and furious. Talk to me. Yep, 30 seconds. So, you know, from experience of using this, I, I love the concept. I think uh, to the points that are brought up, it can be used good and bad. And I've, and I've seen it, I've seen it kind of go both ways. Um, I've seen, uh, we talked about cultural differences, but I also think generational differences are important as well in gamification. Um, think about the people who have points and things like that, and they win things all the time. I think mm -hmm. sometimes you can see by generation, people are expecting when I play a game to get something. A gold star on a certificate means nothing to some people, where some, that's, that's a great accomplishment. Uh, some people want physical things, and, and I think it's, it's, it's that slippery slope. So, great concept. Um, I've seen it used successfully as, as well as seen it fail. Thank you very much. And guess what? I'm down to about, oh, 30 seconds for each of you for prediction. So let's keep it tight. Let's just focus on 2020, not that far away. Matt Donovan, what do you see coming down the pike for the future of learning in terms of simplification, simplicity, making things simple and getting the job done? 30 seconds, future predictions, Matt Donovan, I mean 30 seconds, go. Sure. So I think uh, one of the, the fascinating things in the future we're going to see more is, is the role that neuroscience plays and how we understand how folks learn and how they retain and retrieve information. And I think it's going to shape more about what we learn about them. Again, I don't think it's going to be the silver bullet, but it's definitely going to provide more insights into how our learners and performers assimilate and apply information. Thank you, Matt. Wonderful. Jesse Burnell at NOAA Software, KNOA. Predictions, 30 seconds. Go. 
Yeah, predictions for me. I think there's going to be more social. I think I think this whole concept of of you know learning plans, learning uh, being uh, this whole you know concept. I think you're going to see a lot more social, a lot more letting learning just happen. Um, if we think about uh, technology today, people just learn and pick it up from each other. So how do we encourage that social learning more within the workplace? Thank you. The three of you just won the prize for the most concise, on-point predictions of any show we've done in a long time. Usually I say 30 seconds, everybody says, oh, good, I got 10 minutes. Thank you very much. I'd love to cut anybody off. Matt Donovan, GP Strategies. Thank you so much, Matt, for your insights. Jesse Brunel, pleasure to have you on at NOAA, K-N-O. I always have to spell that, Jesse, so people will learn NOAA software. And so, Hale Bola at Tech Data Corporation. Great panel. I have some predictions of my own. Let's see. Tuesdays, at 10 a.m. We have four shows sharing that time slot, alternating week by week. Social selling with Game Changers, the future of the future with Game Changers, the future of cars. Somebody mentioned driverless cars and AI. Yup. Future of cars with Game Changers and extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers. Tuesdays at 12 noon ET, we have digital industries changing the game, business network innovation with Game Changers, financial excellence with Game Changers. And of course, on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, I'm here on the Business Channel with our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So go out and game. Well, I'm ready for my call to action here. Quick shout out to Justin and the Business Channel team. Thanks for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Thank goodness the connection lasted. Dave Fowler at SAP, very appreciative for a great topic and wonderful panel. And here is finally my call to action. Okay. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Enough already. Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of The Future of Business with Game Changers. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.